ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Bitwax, the online vinyl store that accepts cryptocurrencies as a form of payment alongside your standard card payments. Now, I used to own a record shop many years ago and still have a solid vinyl collection behind me in the studio today. There's nothing better than receiving your favourite new track through the post, peeling off the plastic and actually touching the music. So go to www.bitwax.co.uk and treat yourself today. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Lefty, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and so, so many more. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and Mixcloud. And now, including this episode on YouTube for the full video experience, simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on those notifications. In this episode, I talk to Ollie James about his meteoric rise through the EDM ranks. But Ollie is so much more than a talented DJ and producer. His understanding of the business behind the game is what really sets him apart, in my opinion. Ollie is also really honest in this episode about the anxiety that he faced in the early stages of his career and those early gigs and the processes that he then followed to overcome it. This is one of my favourite episodes ever episodes. Even if you haven't heard Ollie's music before, this is unmissable for anyone interested in the life of a young DJ and producer. And the graft that really goes in behind the scenes to enable that success to happen. So, let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Ollie James, welcome to the show. Hello, mate. You alright? I'm good, man. It is nice to do, like, although we are uh, on Skype, it's nice to do one that feels like a local show. Like, it feels like there's yeah, a north. It, it feels like there's finally, a north. Yeah, it's, it's north good we're finally doing this as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been chasing Ollie for a while. He's just a busy guy, so I'm glad that we nailed yeah. it down. We're on a we're on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and are you so where are you in whereabouts in the northeast? Are you? So I'm in Chesley Street. Okay. So most people won't know where that is. So how Close do you when you, so Yeah, I was going to say when you're touring, when you're in uh, when you're in Holland or something, and people ask you where you're from, what do you say? What do you think I say? Newcastle. Yeah, it's it's like when you're on holiday in Maga. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Newcastle, mate. Whereabouts? Oh, ju- just Chesley Street. So yeah, nobody knows where it is, man. But obviously, I'm closer to Durham. But you have you have to say Newcastle because people just hear Geordie Shaw and they know exactly where it is. Exactly. Um, right. Well, we're gonna we'll get onto some other like local chat and other bits and like Geordie yeah. Shaw chat later on. But we're gonna jump straight in, and I'm gonna take you. All the way back before DJing, before producing, all that kind of stuff. I want to take you right back to your childhood, and I want to know where the first places that you were hearing music was. Was it a car? Was it your parents? I don't know if you've got older brothers and sisters, but way before kind of like you know you really got into serious dance music. What were the first influences in your life musically? I, th- I think the radio. To be honest, I think it was Galaxy FM at the time. They used to play a lot more like dance music back then, dance remixes of pop songs. Uh, so I used to like them. And then obviously went through that phase where I'd listen to like 50 Cent and Eminem and all that. Um, I even bought a CD, Michael Jackson CD, for some reason, that, when I was quite young. Um, so I just went through everything and then listened to a little bit of the MC, you know, the MC Tazo and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then, yeah, just it just progressed, man. I didn't really fall in love with EDM until I was 18 uh, in a club in a club called the Riverside. It was the first one where I heard like real big room music. So I kind of fell in love with that then. So I've been a bit up and down the genres over the years, but at what this was point big? My career- what was big when you were at school? Like, what was the kind of like? Was it was everyone into R and B? Was everyone into that Makina or the or the, or the or the the tapes of Tazo and all? Like, what was what was big when you were like fifteen, sixteen at the time at school? Uh, Cascada, uh, Bass Hunter. So actually, this is this is where my sound. I started remixing all these tracks. Right. Started remixing Bass Hunter, you know, Sash stuff like that because. When I was that kind of age, that's what was big. So I still get inspired by that kind of sound. I think that's the one that resonated most with me was that kind of time. Did you I think the Cascada I, stuff? Did you want to be a, a a producer before you wanted to be a DJ? Like, were you interested more in how music was put together and editing yeah. it and like you know taking it apart and putting it together again more than you were into DJing early on? Yeah, so the thing is, I would always class myself as a music producer. I don't think I'm the, a, a technical DJ or anything. I'm more of an artist who performs his own music. Uh, I'll, ne- I'll never pretend I'm like a DOD or something who's like cutting up stuff on the effects and stuff like that. Um, but my progression was I wanted to be a DJ because at, at like house parties and stuff, it was cool to be a DJ. But then because I've always been quite creative, I wanted to start making my own mashups and stuff. So obviously you start with mashups and then you realize that you can actually make your own music. You can change the drop on a song that you like. So I started doing that and yeah, just progressed from there. But I think when you like a music style, naturally you start looking for more unreleased stuff and suddenly you've got loads more music than your mate. So suddenly I want to be a DJ because I want to start playing all this unreleased stuff. And then I started to realize I can actually put two songs together and make something new and that's kind of where i started i'll edit this out but just um if you can stop trying to hit your desk as much because <laughs> it's like oh, resonating it? yeah it's like resonating through the microphone or whatever oh, and it do just, you know what it, it, it does it on videos as it well just, it just sounds a bit shit don't worry about it like but i mean just like it's just a bit cack. um so what what first bit of software did you choose because it's it i think it is super daunting to someone if they're listening to this and and we'll get into your mentoring and all the stuff that you do online because i think that's super interesting but if someone's listening to this and they just never have opened anything up they just never have looked at any kind of door or anything what were the first steps that you took like what was the first bit of software you got so for me it was fl studio because my friend gave me a cd uh with fl studio on it um it's highly illegal but you know me and fl studio are good friends now they discovered that I was using their software and actually hooked me up with it. So that, that worked out well. But I did use his disc. And honestly, man, because I'm so bad with technology, it doesn't matter. Even with VSTs and stuff, I really struggle because I'm not a technological person. Um, it took me a long time. I was spending years just making noises and noises in FL Studio, not really music. Um, but yeah, over time, I discovered YouTube and I started getting onto like tutorials and stuff. And I started downloading a lot of project files. You can take a project file, change it a little bit, and then suddenly you've, you've got a new song kind of thing. So that, it's it's not really the best way to start out. But because I wasn't technologically great, I just had to get used to the, the, the actual software first um, and just mess around with it. But I think nowadays, it's I think you can pick it up within five to six months. I think if you just watch a few YouTube tutorials, download a few projects, 
because everybody's doing that now, especially during Corona, you know, like people, DJs want to earn more income. They want to share different things with you and stuff. So you've got, it's the perfect time to start now. I think uh, you've got so many resources to use. Are you still using FL Studio now? I am, yeah. No, no, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just interesting. No, but it, it's got such a, no, it does have such a bad like rap, doesn't it, FL Studio? Because like I always thought it was a bit like like a kid's version of Ableton. That's the way I saw it. Okay. Because it's such an easy user interface. It does look a bit more on the playful side, I would say. You know, Ableton and, and, and stuff like that looks quite serious, but... As as I said before, I'm I'm more the I'm more a creative guy than I am a technical guy. So for me, I don't think I'm ever going to change. I know you can do better stuff than FL Studio and certain things like Ableton, but I don't I think, think it's a, still- yeah. I certainly don't think it's a, a I, and I didn't mean it as a, a derogatory sense in it at all. Yeah. I I think and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, we could get into this like quite a lot, but there's definitely a lot to be said for something that's really easy that you get to create on. Like there's always yeah. somebody, you know, and I don't, I don't think this applies to you, but there's always somebody who can take your idea and make it sound better. It's the idea yeah. in the first place, which is kind of the important thing. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and I think if something like FL, like lets you like, get, lets you get cracking, like I've never ever in my life opened up FL studio. I've never had it, but what I do. do use? Well, I get, I get all my ideas in Ableton. Cause I think it, for me, workflow wise, Ableton is where I can like throw things in, chuck in loops, put in samples. Yeah. And then I go and work with, like with Maitland as an engineer and he uses like, he'll put, put everything that I've got from Ableton and he'll like discern what's good and what's bad and what ideas we like. Then we go into logic cause he just works in logic. He's much quicker and he's flowing there. And then when we yeah. sort of finished and done the tracks done, he'll then master it in Pro Tools. But I don't Jesus. think, but I, but I don't think, steps. but yeah, but, but I don't think that's like, it sounds overly complicated, but the idea is the most important thing. Like you can't yeah. start on Pro Tools. If you haven't got, if you haven't got an idea for a track, if you haven't got a concept or a sound, but I thought it was really interesting. Like you said at the start about you just spent years creating noises like and you yeah. were kind of like saying that as a throwaway comment but i think that's really interesting because what you were really doing was learning you were really spending years learning how to use fl studio and learning how all this, the the functions worked and how all the you know the plugins worked or whatever so when yeah. you then got to the idea of having the ideas you, you had this you had the ideas and i think it's I think it's, really true, yeah. I think it's really interesting as well because people come at them things from so many different ways. Like, so you've got someone like, what's well, Ido Fire now? People would have known him as Michael Woods previously. Someone like Michael Woods is like a classically trained musician, you know, grew up be, like being a pianist and everything else. And then yeah. he applied those skills to production. Then even someone like Avicii, obviously, a, 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 you know, someone that was well known for using FL Studio, you know, was basically would tell everyone and you can watch all these videos. He drew all his notes in, really, didn't he? Like, you yeah, know, always, exactly. always drew his melodies in. And I think a lot of it's interesting, again, that you you say and you class yourself as an artist who plays his own music. A lot of people, like you mentioned about lockdown, are DJs like me who want to then learn to produce because they need tracks to get gigs um yeah. and a lot and a lot of these people me included i don't have music theory i've learned bits along the way but i certainly was never musically trained um where did where did your musical theory come from where did your because you you write wicked like riffs and uh, you know where, where did that come oh, from thanks, you, 
you know, I love them. And, and when I watch your videos, it's not music, you know, like it's it, music that I played at one point. It's not really music that I yeah. play now, but I appreciate anything from drum and bass to big room to, you know what I mean? To deep yeah. house or anything. Like where did your musicality come from? So, yeah, this is the thing. Like nobody in my family has ever been involved with music and I bless them. I always bring this up because I think, you know, I look at people like Zed and it kind of puts me off a little bit because obviously one day I actually have an alias where I write softer stuff. We'll go into that later on. But yeah. um, I think with Zed, like I look at him and all the instruments he plays, his parents are like classically trained. And it, it does put me off a little bit. It makes me think I'm never going to get that top 40 UK hit, which is like pretty much at the top of my tree. That's my main goal. So um, it puts me off a little bit. But with the kind of music I'm making in like the harder dance, like big room kind of sound. What I would do is just download MIDI files, man. I would download MIDI files and learn them and just see. Because eventually, to me, it's not really about the notes. It's just about these these bars in FL Studio and the piano roll. That's the way I say I click them in as well. I, I always click my melodies in. I've got a, a keyboard sat there, which I used once. I bought a keyboard. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to stop. Because I, I took 10 piano lessons, actually. Um, they were 50 euros each in Holland. And, you know, I sat there. I tried my hardest to learn. I told them what I needed them for, and it just didn't work out, man. No. Because it's it's a complete different ball game, I think. But then again, you've got guys like Disclosure, all these guys playing in these, and, and I just think, man, it does they, scare me a little but, bit. But they but they learned to play piano prior yeah. to learning to produce music. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and and again, like I'm, I can totally relate to that. I went to this really delightful woman in Heaton, like every week yeah. for about like six months mate trying to learn stuff. jesus and, six and months was, yeah and it was and, 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 but but i just like as i was learning scales and things i was just going this has no relevance to what i want because yeah. i didn't have the patience and like even though i was learning and i was getting better i was still going down sitting with mark and we were drawing in chords and then from the yeah. chords we were drawing in melody lines in that key and then you, like you just said and for anyone who have never done this a lot of the time you draw in your notes that like you just click in these holes then you just move them up and down and straight Is away that, you can, and, yeah and straight away and when clicks, you hit yeah, and straight away when you hit a note that's not in the scale or something you go ooh, not there yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know next time don't you you know next time <laughs> Not to hit this note, and that—that's the way it works for me as well. But yeah, I, I can—I can also really relate to what you're saying about about that musicality, um, about feeling. Well, I'm talking for myself now, not you. But like, there's a guy. Shout out to Lefty who did a podcast about a month ago. We've now started working on a track together, and he's like, you know, I sent something over to him, and he's like, oh yeah, great. I'll just—I'll play some guitar, then I'll, you know, I'll do some. And I was like, God, man, like I wish I could yeah. do that, and it. it I know what you mean about Zed and I know what you mean about those those musicians and, and it does there is a kind of a not a clash, but there's definitely a melting pot within the dance music world of musicians like people like yeah. Zed and stuff who have then learned electronic music and electronic artists who are using musicality to get their ideas out. Um yeah. But yeah, I, I do think it's um I do think it's really interesting. So let's go let's go let's go back then. So you're starting to make are you making edits first or are you are you just straight up trying to make original records? Are you putting them on SoundCloud? Are you making them because you're playing at mates' house parties? Like what's the what what sort of age are we now? Are we like sixteen? Are we earlier? Are we I think I was about eighteen because I went to university actually, uh, to study business. Uh, I failed both years, um too much partying and that. So uh <laughs> basically I was living by myself in, in um in student halls. 
And we used to have like pre-parties for a Sunday night at Tuk Tuk, uh, Persistence. So we used to do like a pre-party for that. Shout out to so Dean. So I, I would shout out to Dean. So I, I was doing some uh, doing some like little warm up gigs, you know, with me me little tractor thing, uh, in the laptop. Obviously, I was just getting drunk and playing. It was just fun. Um, but then, like on my spare time, which was pretty much all the time, because I wouldn't go to lectures, I would be like trying to re- make mashups but live. So okay. I'd pl- I'd play this like Maroon Five song, and then I'd slowly be mixing in this EDM track, okay. and I would put those on SoundCloud. I think it was a little bit more lenient back then, copyright-wise, so I started to get quite a lot of followers. Um, and when you've got 9K followers on SoundCloud, you're a big name. So I was then starting to work with guys who were more advanced than me on actual original music because they'd see my followers. They'd see, this guy's quite big. And that's how I'd kind of progress my originals. So a lot of my first tracks on Beatport and stuff are all collabs where I did very minimal work. I put my hands up. Um, and even my first big break, I would say, would be my track on Hardwell's label, the first one. Um, obviously, I've released a lot on there since, so it's been a great relationship with them. But the first one, it, it was me and two other guys in the in the collaboration, and they did most of the work. I did quite minimal, but I had the big following from all these unofficial mashups and bootlegs and stuff. So that, that kind of elevated me to a position where I could get a release on one of my favorite labels, my one of my big goals. And then from there, as I got better, I had this good relationship with the guys it revealed, and that's how I kind of progressed on that label. Um, so it was a bit of everything, I would say, but mashups were the key for me, I would say, definitely. And, and getting you... guys... No, go on, man. I was going to say, like, getting guys in, in, in the town scene, the Newcastle scene, um, Bare Essentials and stuff, that they would, like, play my mashups out. And then eventually they'd start playing my like original tracks because Big Room and EDM was quite big then. So uh, obviously that helped as well. But it was a bit of everything, really. But you weren't, you weren't at this point really chasing. I mean, I'm very aware of the gigs that you do, but like at this point, you weren't chasing gigs. At this point, you were chasing records. At this point, you were like making mashups. Yeah. You weren't, were you trying to get gigs or were you not really even that interested at that point? On, I, I don't think so, you know. I, I think it was just about being cool, you know. I wanted to be the guy at the house party. I, I want to be the one to get all the girls, you know, spinning all these like EDM songs in the house party. That's what I wanted. Uh, but, yeah, when I think back, like, when did I really want to start DJing? I didn't really want to start DJing until about two years ago. And I've actually been DJing for four years. So I had two years where I just hated it. And so what was that, that What was that first gig? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the, the reveal thing. We're going to come back to that. But... What was that first gig where you were sort of legitimately booked because of your musical presence, because of the releases and the mashups that you were doing? What was that first gig? See, the, the first gig I did was in Scotland uh, at, a, at a small, like, it looked like a working men's club. Um, but I got paid, like, in cash for that. And I remember just when I did, I felt like I felt like the boss, man. I felt <laughs> so good about myself. But the thing is... I think I'd had the revealed release by then. I think after that, this booking came and it was an independent guy. Um, he gave me my first show. Shout out to Jack Diamond, he's called. Um, and he was booking like smaller artists. And I went and played there and I was just shaking, man. And, and that's where it really started, where the mental side started for me because I realized I wasn't in the right headspace to be a DJ because it's not just DJing like this. When you booked as a you know, it wasn't really a headline gig, but as a headliner, 
you have to be interacting with the crowd. You need to speak to the crowd. You need to be on the mic a lot. You need to move around. Um, but all I did was I got so drunk and just played music and just looked at the decks. Um, and there was a lot of shows after that which went the same kind of way. I think that's really interesting and it's really um, credit to you for, for that honesty because yeah. because because it is interesting that that you for me it's interesting for me because you were a producer who then led to, it led to getting dj bookings and you know whereas i spent like you know years djing before i even tried to make any kind of, of music really on my own yeah. with, with other people so and i still get nervous going to do like a, a, you say a proper gig like that like where you've been booked yeah. and my name's on the flyer and i'm there like you know electric playground i know you've played electric playground yeah. belfast shout out to the lads there and i would still get nervous at that point having been a dj for 10 years and done serious amounts of hours behind the decks but suddenly when you know that someone potentially is paying to see you because your name's on the flyer and 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 you know yeah i think that's that's really interesting and how did it's you like a different ball game really yeah, I mean, how did you? We're gonna we're gonna come back to the music, like I say. But how did you deal with that? Did you go and speak to anyone else? Did you get any advice? Did you watch videos, or did you just did did it come with time, or like what's that progression of you going from feeling quite uncomfortable to now feeling yeah. pre-pandemic very comfortable about going and, and headlining? Oh, like I'll, I'll be completely honest with you here. I, I don't I don't like hiding stuff. I'm I'm always honest with people. Because my journey has been a mad one. It really has. Because I had to force myself to become the person that I... You know, I always wanted to be this person. Not shy, outgoing, you know. But around that time, I was just so shy, man. Like, there was... A, and because I made a track, a remix of Ecuador by Sash. Yeah. Um, and I, I chucked it on SoundCloud. Uh, Hardwell well. played it. Um, <laughs> it got like 40,000 plays in a week. Yeah. And then... Sash DM'd me saying, yo, you can't just remix someone else's song who gave you permission. I said, look, it's a bootleg, man. And then suddenly he came back and said, actually, my team think it's amazing. Uh, And then I got an email from Spinning saying they were going to release it on their main label. Um, And I was like, what? Like, it was just a lucky thing. It was a lucky break, man. It was a lucky break. But I'd made so many bootlegs and remixes just for the fun of it because I loved those old school, like, trancy songs. Of course. But after that, after that, release came out i was collabing with bigger names i was getting more releases became easier because i had more of a fan base yeah uh, and then the bookings came in and we're talking like big real life bookings you know like these big clubs you know top 100 world clubs and, and stuff like that and i remember there was a board here in this little room and i used to write down my shows so ireland the 21st and i would have switzerland the 28th and i would just fill me board full of stuff and I used to dread that date coming around. I really? hated going to the airport. I hate because I respect the club so much for giving me that chance. But mentally, I just wasn't there, man, because I was chucked into this deep end of like, now you've got to start DJing in front of a crowd. But I was the guy who sat on a laptop eight hours a day and made music. Um, so the way I did it, you know, I, I went and saw a therapist in Holland to try and get me over my stage fright. I don't think it worked as much. I think the only way that I got through it was by maturing. Obviously, as you get older, you become less shy. You you become more outgoing, usually, I would say, um, and just experienced, man. But I, honestly, I would give anything to go back to those clubs and play now because I, I would smash it there. I would smash it now, honestly. But back then, even one of the clubs in, uh, it was in the top 100 club, actually, he said, yo, your guy is killing the floor. He has to play more hard stuff. But I put 20 songs on one USB stick 
planned the whole set and just DJ'd it. So I didn't so pre-record it. So there was nowhere um, else to yeah, there was nowhere else to go. You didn't have any yeah. That exactly and, and knowing that, fifteen minutes in, he wants you to play hard music, but you know for the past few tracks you've got some like kind of funky trap music, which isn't what they need. Yeah. Was the worst feeling. And also the the decks were here and the 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 crowd were like looking down on you. It was a weird kind of setup, but it's wow. obviously if you played it now, you'd love it, wouldn't you, with that kind of vibe? Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't look at anyone. So I was just like this the whole time, shaking. I, have this, experience I have this thing like, <laughs> and I'm not even sure I can ever remember it happening, but even now, like when I've been DJing, whatever, 15 years and stuff, like I think I worked out, I think I worked out pre-pandemic that I'd done over 10,000 hours in like the digital main room alone, like over Jeez. the years. But like, I still have this thing where like, I think back now, if I close my eyes, I can visualize it. And I see like that full digital main room for Electrica or whatever on a Saturday. And it's like, I usually look about a foot above everyone's heads. Like yeah. just in case one person's looking at me going, yeah. And like I say, I, I don't think I've ever seen it. I'm not saying no one hasn't done it, but I'm not, I don't think I've ever yeah. seen it happen. But like, even with 10,000 hours odd or whatever in that room, I would still just be looking slightly above everyone's heads, like, and just be feeling like a little bit of le- level of anxiety. And um, did you watch that? Did you watch that Tim, like the the, the documentary about Avicii? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I because I think it's a lot of the things that you were just saying there really resonated with me about watching that about obviously about being a relatively shy young man who was you know into being on his laptop and making music and then suddenly is being thrust into this world of 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 performing in front of people which it's so much it's so much more is performing and especially in in that huge edm surge that there was than it used to be like you know djing 20 years ago a lot of the time you were in a very dark room in a corner like you know and, and and that was the deal whereas you know, Avicii and, you know, yourself to a to an extent still were like thrust into these stages which are lit and have huge video walls above and below them um, and you have cameras in your face. Now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a performance, performance as, a, as opposed to being a music selector in a corner. It's very yeah. different. And um, and you can see how, and I've obviously been guilty of it as well, using alcohol to, to dampen that, yeah. that level of anxiety. And you can see how Tim, and even you mentioned it yourself, how you then fall into that trap of of drinking a little bit to try and to try and help it. Um, yeah. So we'll go back to the music and 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 touch on like how did that because how did the revealed thing come about in the first place? How did that very first release come about unrevealed? So the thing is. Uh... I'm pretty sure I was making like still mashups of bootlegs and stuff. Uh, and I think I got something played on Hardwell on Air first, which was his radio show. And it's, I think it's still very big now, but at the time, this oh, was radio insane. show was massive. If you, so like, you've had your tracks played as so well. How, right? Yeah, so how did you get it played? How did you, I mean, I, 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 what I'm trying to get out here for anyone who's listening who isn't yeah. me, me or you, and he's going, like, how does this happen? How do you even get music to Harvard on air? Yeah. Like, so how did you go about it? Did you find an email? Did you have a mate of someone? Like, how did you get that very first track that was played on Harvard on air? How did it get there? How did it happen? So the thing is, I, I really can't remember. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I think obviously back, back in the days, I'm sure you've got a big list as well of promo mails yeah. where somebody had this, um, like Sh- Shaquille, by the way, he sent me one. 
um, and he sent me a like, list of like WW Hardwell. So yeah. maybe it was through that. Uh, I used to always send my mashups and bootlegs out to DJs and stuff. Uh, so maybe it was through that. But because they had my email on file, they said, hey, guys, we're looking for um, tracks for our Miami sampler. So okay. I was like fired all my tracks. So I had like six tracks of my own originals and then this one collab. And obviously my originals were just whack, man. They were never going to sign those. But this one track, they were like, yeah, we want to sign it. And after that, man, I was just so happy. Like nothing could bring me down at that point. And where does the, um, where does the, is it Bass Jackers, the guys that you really, who are the guys that you really got? Oh, Blaster Jacks. Blaster Jacks, sorry. Jacks, yeah. Sorry, how did that come about? Because I know that was a really big um, turning point for you as far as, like, did they take you on to manage you? And Yeah, so basically they, well, I used to, as I said before, I used to send music out. But I think this was after the revealed release. I, w- I would be sending probably two tracks a week out because i wouldn't just be making solo tracks i'd be collabing with other guys with similar follow amounts so i'd find other guys and say let's make a track i make the breakdown he makes the drop we've got a track within a day so i was firing out pretty much two tracks a week at that point on soundcloud at minimum one a week on soundcloud i'd say Uh, and i would send them all the blaster jacks first through the, the the promo mail and they would play at least one or two tracks of my track every single radio show Uh, So basically what they did was they dropped me an email or something saying, hey, have you got a manager? And at that point, I was like, why why would I need a manager? I I didn't understand the whole point of it, right? Um, And they said that they really like my music and they're going to start a management company. So they basically said, we're going to fly you over to Holland. So I took my first ever solo flight. You know, I'd never flown alone, um, always with my mates and stuff like that on holidays and stuff like that, but never gone by myself. Basically went to Amsterdam, met my manager, my current manager, went to Blaster Jacks' house. Bearing in mind, Blaster Jacks were just one of my biggest heroes, you know, these guys, the same with Hardwell and all that. So I was just shaking at the door like this. Oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. But basically, they signed me to their, their management company. Uh, then they started their record label Maximize as a division of Spinning. Um, and I've, I've released a lot of music with them. And obviously, Blaster Jacks are now really good friends of mine. So... That was a big help. I will say that was a massive help because being a being a lad from the UK and specifically the Northeast making that kind of music, it's very tough to make it out. You know, I'm making Euro- European music and Dutch in, music. In yeah, UK, yeah. Dutch yeah. music, yeah. And in yeah. the UK, it's it's always been about the, the deeper stuff. I think it's fair to say. So obviously, that was a big branch out. Into in the big wide world, I would say, of, of the dance music scene. Um, and from there, they hooked me up with a, a good booking agent and stuff like that. And that's when those shows came. As far as like a manager goes, um, and again, I'm attacking this from the from the um, perspective of someone out there listening who doesn't have a manager and is, you know doesn't doesn't understand the industry the way that you do now. Yeah. Should people be looking for managers? Should you wait for a manager to come and find you? What does a manager even do for you as an artist? So, yeah, my manager always says this because he's done multiple talks and stuff at schools. And he always says that you can't really look for a manager. You need somebody to find you. A manager basically does all the dirty work that you don't want to do. So it's negotiating fees and stuff. like. So a guy like me, um, you know, if I'm in a shop and and something says $2.99, I'll pay $2.99. I won't ever try and get a discount. 
But my manager will always fight to get that extra penny, you know. And he, he's a Jew. He says this. He says he uses his Jewish abilities, you know, to get the most amount of money out of stuff. Um, and he, so if I've got a collaboration deal or something like that or with a songwriter, he'll always get the best deal. Um, and with him, he had a lot of contacts, contacts that I didn't have. So if I had a track that I wanted to send to Armin Van Buren, he could send it for me. Um, obviously nowadays that's I have my contacts myself like I've earned my contacts uh, by myself but he still does a lot of work in regards to vocalists and things like that um, but I think you need somebody to find you because you need somebody who's super passionate about your music you don't want to find a guy like your best mate oh, will you manage me because you know they're not going to put all that effort into you so you need somebody to find you but in this day and age I don't think you need a manager I don't think it's vital, basically. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And I was, you know, I was asking you that, like I say, on behalf of people who might not might not get it. And I think the one thing that I pick out from that, like I run a little a little management thing on the side now, just and I find young kids oh, really? that, that I like look of. I like the music and I want to help them at the minute. I'm only really looking after one guy. Shout out to Mus. He's like um or, or Moose, he's M U U S on Insta and stuff, and he makes kind of Tech House, he's had some, you know, some good releases, but I found him, nice. just hit him up. He's in America, we chat. But one of the things that I sort of said to him right from the start was, yeah, I've got some contacts that you don't have that I could help you with. Um, but really what I'm there to do is be the middleman so that you don't have to, you know, I can say things to to record labels, to booking agents, to collaborators that you don't want to say. You get to still be the nice yeah. guy. You get to be the nice you know, artists. that's what it's about. Yeah. And I get to say, no, like his name needs to be bigger on the artwork and yeah. we don't like that. And we, you know, we want 50, we need a different royalty level on that deal, you know, and, and that's, I think, yeah, I think the contact is really important. I think that doing the dirty work, as you put it, is a hundred percent on the nose. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I think is like, the one thing that I think is important for people to understand, and I'd be interested in your opinion on it, but for my opinion, a manager's not going to do any, You've still got to provide the manager with yeah. music, content, a brand, uh, you know what I mean? An artist. The, the, the managements don't think, anyone out there, don't think that if you get a manager, they're suddenly going to start doing yeah. all this work for you. <laughs> like, you've got That's to... True. You've got to still produce the music. You've still got to produce the artwork and not the artwork, sorry, but like the brand and the images and the content and yeah. all the stuff that you do. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's interesting. So when So how many records do you think you would putting out before you started to get these bookings coming in like or did it did it really did that first revealed record did that change everything did you did, did the phone start to ring after that or was it more a little bit down the line when you signed up to this management agency i would say like before the revealed release you know i was putting out at least one or two tracks a week on soundcloud and it's the same with anything man if you want to be a successful twitch streamer youtuber content the more you post the more followers you will get. Because if you post once a week, like I do on YouTube, I post once a week, but I, I've found this community that accepts my routine. But when you're trying to find a fan base, you need to be posting every single day. If it's YouTube, for example, you'll see those YouTubers are the most successful. So I was putting one or two tracks a week. And obviously you're going to get people follow you. You know, people know that if they come back next week, they're going to find a brand new song. Um, obviously the content has to be good you can't just put noise up there and just expect people to follow you but i started to get this good for like a, a notoriety i would say on soundcloud as being like a soundcloud dj and, and at the time that was a good step it was like the first step on the ladder um 
and from there the revealed release came and then the, i think the ecuador one was the big one the spinning release that was the one that really turned it around i think uh obviously it was a lucky break but it ended up putting me in this it i always see it as a ladder you know you've got like certain steps and it put me a full step up and suddenly i was in the scene i was at the bottom of the scene but i was in the scene uh, and that's when those shows started to come in because they saw the, the the track doing well on spotify and things like that and it got good support because beatport was massive you know for edm at the time yeah um, and that's where all these shows came in and unfortunately i just didn't perform the best at them uh but over time you know i got better and better yeah i mean do you think and and and, and you know, if you don't want to really talk about anyone else, fair enough. But I mean, I certainly never heard anything that was negative about you. Do you think that, do you think they were, did they, do you think that people didn't book you again because of that first performance? Or like, or, 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 do you, or is it just you being that your own harshest critic kind of thing? Because yeah. this time, you know, like, or do you have a feeling that like that one club, for example, might not have booked you again because you couldn't go harder? Or was that you yeah. just being really hard on yourself? Yeah, the thing is, obviously, at the time, I was a lot more hard on myself than I am now. Obviously, I had the, the, those mental issues, I would say. You know, I'd always put myself down. Um, one bad mix, I would put myself down. Now, one bad mix, I'd just laugh and, and speak on the mic, and everyone starts laughing with me. So I, I would say even my manager, you know, he used to come to my shows and stuff, and he would say, you did really well there. And I would just be like, I don't believe you, but I know for a fact I did well enough. But with that yeah. one in Switzerland, you know, I, I knew – I knew that I'd done a bad job because of what he said to my manager. Um, and I haven't been booked to Switzerland since. I don't know if it's connected. I think it's quite hard to get rebooked in this, in my kind of scene. Uh, I think it's more about the friendships, relationships you have with the, the clubs. Yeah. Um, so there's some places I've been booked back to, you know, I get on well with the owners and stuff like that. Uh, but I think a lot of the times in the beginning, my performance would have put some club owners off but some of them would have just been like you know we'll, we'll give them another try but i think they just wanted to give a new dj every week that was the thing at the time yeah of course. um but now well, i make sure i make sure to put in a good performance you know how have you found um being like like you say english or british in quite no. a dutch dominated scene have you made any efforts to learn to speak dutch does it do you think it's held you back or do you think it's interesting because you are like a break from the norm so uh, i always used to think it was a little bit unfortunate because you know the, the guys in holland start producing when they're 12 11 years old and i didn't discover music until i was 18 so i feel like i was held back a little bit but obviously it just meant i had to work a little bit harder and faster to, to catch up um i think because I've been going to Holland pretty much once a month for, for four or five years, I would say four years maybe. Uh, so even if I didn't have a show, like now I would probably be in Holland with my manager. Like I would stay at his house. Uh, I've got lots of like good friends over there, contacts. Um, so yeah, it's been a big help me being able to get over there. Uh, I think if you are a guy in, in the UK, it's not impossible to still make it big. You know, you look at guys like Ben Nicky, like this guy, uh, he's an absolute legend, man. He's just took himself and put himself to the top. He hasn't needed any other... Con he's just literally put himself to the top of the tree. I respect that so much. So I think it's good to see guys like him. How do you um, How do you think Ben Nicky did it? This isn't, a, this isn't a trick question, by the way, or anything. This isn't like... I'm not yeah. being... I'm just asking you because I'm interested and I'm sure other people would be. How yeah. do you think Ben Nicky did that from the outside? 
So I, I want to ask him this. I want to ask him the actual, <laughs> the actual way. But uh, I think honestly, he shows his personality on Instagram a lot. Yeah. And I think the big thing now, because back in the days, you would get a booking right for a big club by having a track on spinning. I'm yeah. sure like this one, I can see Halo. That was a big track. I'm sure you <laughs> got interest from that one track. You know. Yeah. You get a B port number one. The club owners can promote this. He's got a B port number one. Yeah. Just the same with the DJ Mark. Um. So I think nowadays it's more about the person. The club owners want a guy to come in that they can sit and have a laugh with, have a drink with, have a Fish catch up. Yeah. So yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> that, that kind of the personality. And I don't think like Ben Nicky was putting anything on. I think he's being his actual self. Yeah. The way he is if you saw him in the pub, you know. And I think people, especially in the UK, really resonated with that personality. And he would he wouldn't censor anything on Instagram, you know. He's posted some funny stuff, and I think people love that. And that's. That's kind of what helped motivate me to become more, because in the past, you know, I would finish a show in China and I would just go back to the hotel and go to sleep. Now I stay until the end of the club. I want to party with the, the club owners and stuff. I just want them to get to know me as a person. Yeah. Because um, that can be a bit of a laugh. I'll, I'll, I'll chin loads of tequila and stuff. Like, you pass me a drink, I'll drink it all, right? And they love that. They love somebody who's... <laughs> just down to earth and they'll just sit and get pissed with them. They don't yeah. want a guy to just play the amount of money that they pay in China. They don't want to pay this guy that much and then they just go back to the hotel. So I think personality, if you know, show your personality nowadays, it's super important. Yeah, no, I think that's a hugely important point. And I think on the Ben Nicky front, I also, without without being like super involved in that scene, what I really like yeah. about Ben Nicky is that the way he's carved out this ability to play everything from sort of big room to side trance yeah. to classics to hardcore like i yeah. really i really like the fact that he's kind of made that acceptable like that in mm -hmm. i'm not always saying in one set but he, you know he will span a huge amount of of music Definitely. um and i think that's wicked so if we go back to about this time last year so sort of fresh as he sort of time last year like september october time what were you looking at in those in those next six months or so, five months or so, until we had that shutdown in March, what was your diary looking like? What was your release schedule looking like? Um, yeah, just talk us through it. To be honest, my diary was the most full it had ever been. Uh, I went for a meeting at the Revealed office, uh, and they said that they're going to put a world tour. So they were celebrating 10 or 20 years or something. I think it's 10 years. Uh, and they were going to do shows all over the world. And one of them was Ministry of Sound in London. I have always wanted to play one show in the UK. Like, imagine, like, I've traveled to some crazy places. I love Asia so much. Like, Asia, I, I absolutely love going to Asia. But all I wanted was one show where I could just get a train. You know what I mean? Or drive. And <laughs> yeah. this was that chance. And I started telling all my mates. I was like, boys, I'm going to be playing in London. Uh, I told Dean. Dean was like, oh, my God, we're all going to go down there. So I was like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Um, and then I was like, I best not tell any more people because usually when I celebrate something, it just disappears. And now I, I look like a fool. So Corona happened. Um, and when was that supposed? When was that show supposed to be? When was it that? Was June. June twenty second, I think. <clears throat> you know, so, bang in the middle of summer. All the, all my mates were going to come down. We're going to have a, a party in London. Um, it makes me want to cry to be honest. I mean, what, I was what, so what, I was so um, close. You know. And what releases did you have? Um, from this point until sort of January, like, did you have quite a few big releases that came out like at the back end of last year? 
Uh, see, I, like this sounds stupid, but I can't really think because I, I, right. I think I think I've got for the past few years I've been lucky enough to get one major release a month. So one on spinning, then one on revealed. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to do that, but I will say that over the past few years I fell out with, fell out of love with the big room sounds. Um, so actually over lockdown, you know, this is one of the good things about lockdown. I, I transformed my sound. I've got a completely new sound now. Um, I'm taking the big room kind of production quality. So those like high end sounds, uh, mixing them with techno, mixing them with hard trance, all the rave. Cause rave is such a big thing now. Um, you know, I wanted to capitalize on that because I love rave sounds. I love acid sounds. I love 303, you know, I love all that. So I've combined those two things together to make like a new sound. So I've been lucky in that sense because now when I open the laptop, I'm absolutely buzzing when I'm working. In the past, I was just looking looking at what was released on the label and trying to copy it. Yeah. If you look at my releases on Spotify, my top performing ones, they're just all completely different. There's yeah. no resonating sound between them. Um, and I think I realized that nowadays – if you want to make it as a producer, having one sound can really put you on like a different level because people, oh, that's Ollie James sound. So that, that it gave me time to completely transform myself. And now the releases that I've got, got coming out now at the end of Corona, hopefully, uh, those are ones I'm really, really passionate about. So let's go back. And I want to come back to this. Um, you're like the sound that you know, you're pushing. But let's go back yeah. to like sort of March then in this year when we all got, you know, shut down and stuff. What was, do you remember the last, yeah. the last gig that you did? What was the last gig that you did? Honestly, can't even remember. Like, I can't even remember when lockdown started. Like, it's, well, it's been like, such it's, a... Yeah, so in the middle of March. March. So, so what What have you done? What have you done in those in those six months? Because you talked about some online... Were you doing this yeah. online coaching and stuff before lockdown? Like, what have you yeah, done in, in... So, actually, I'm, I'm thinking about now. I think I just came back from a China tour, Um I think I actually went for one hour set. I traveled 40 hours for a one hour set in China. I went by myself because obviously financially, I love to have somebody with me, a guy to take the cameras and look after me, you know, so I can get drunk. Um, but this time I just went by myself because it wouldn't make sense to, to pay for another guy's flight. Um, and then when I got back from there, I guess I'd been home for three weeks a month and then it started to, to kick off, I guess. But um over the six months yeah i've been doing a lot of online stuff i've been lucky enough to have a full-time job um it's became a full-time job now people have more money to spend because they're in the house you know they want to learn so i've been able to offer my skills um to them over skype and stuff but i've been doing this for probably three years because you've the been doing I... yeah you've been doing walkthrough videos yeah. and stuff for ages right so it's, it's yes. it, it hasn't been that like lockdowns start, started, no. like Corona started and you went, I've got to do all this different stuff. You were already yeah. doing this stuff prior to it. You've just accelerated yeah. it through the last six months. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's something that a lot of guys are trying now because obviously being a DJ isn't viable, is it? So <laughs> apparently according to the government, so everybody's trying and I, I hope everyone is okay and doing well because we shouldn't be left behind like this, but <clears throat> For me, obviously, I did already start it years ago, so it was easier for me to just improve the business side of it rather than just start from scratch. So, how do you but run it? Like, it? how do you run it out of interest? Like, do you run it as a Patreon? Is it a is it a website with a paywall? Is it just literally one to one and people pay you over um, PayPal? How does it? How does the business model work? Not like you know how much do you earn, yeah. but how does the actual business model work? 
So it's a Patreon, right? Because I, I went on YouTube and I, I was watching a, a tutorial and the guy said, um, had a Patreon link in the description. Uh, I clicked on it and it says like you can join for $5, but he would give you kicks and claps and snares or something from his spinning release. So I was like, I'm going to start one of these. So I, I put some time into it. But the reason I started it is because my shows weren't regular. So I wanted to have a regular backup income. Yeah. I was expecting that, hopefully 100 quid a month or something. That's what I wanted to earn. Um, but then as soon as I started it, it just went phew, big, like big money straight away. And I was like, what? Like, how, how isn't other people do? Because the unique selling point I had was I have a track on spinning. Yeah. I'm going to give you all the sounds from the spinning track to use in your own songs. Give me a five a month. And that, that's the business relationship we had. Um, but then obviously with the walkthrough things, my manager told me to do YouTube. I didn't want to do it at the time. I was still that shy guy. You know, if, if you watch, if anyone wants to laugh, go and watch my very first YouTube videos. I'm talking like this and then I move the kick and then I put the clap and it was just hard to watch for people, I think. Um, so with that, I, I recently turned it into an exclusive thing. I want, I can put a preview on YouTube for anyone to see, but if you want to see the full video, you have to be one of my Patreons. And obviously I want to make a, a website and stuff, but for right now, Patreon is working well. Um, they sign up for whatever tier they want. Do you want to Skype with me for an hour? Uh, do you want me to work on one of your tracks? That's a new thing I've been doing because obviously I'm a music producer. So if I can get paid to make more music, that's fine by me. Um, and there's lots of different options there. And it's actually allowing me to buy a house with my girlfriend now Amazing, uh, in man. the past. Obviously, I'm still, I mean, look at this lovely studio. This is in my parents' house. God bless them, <laughs> allowing me to stay there. Because it's hard being a, music, a musician, right? It's hard to even get a house as a, as a musician. It's tough. You have to really, you have to be supported by your parents and stuff. So Patreon's been a blessing, man. It's 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 a lot of work now. Obviously, I'm Skyping a lot. Um, but it's helped me grow as a person. I'm, I'm actually getting a buzz from helping someone. And I'm becoming more comfortable speaking to people online and things. So... Uh, it's it's just been amazing for me. Well, that's really. wicked, man, and I'll, I'll credit to you for doing it. I think one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast, it's slightly moved away from it, although I'm I'm I'm, I'm retraining my mind on who I'm going to ask and whatever else. But one of the reasons I wanted to start this was to show behind the scenes what people do, because most people that I know in the music industry who who, if you just looked at them on Instagram, for example, and you may be different yeah. to this because you may talk about it on Instagram, but most DJs who I know, you would look at them and you would only think that they were a DJ. But behind yeah. the scenes, behind Instagram, these guys are doing all sorts, whether they're like Maitland, they're an engineer for all other people, whether they're also a videographer like Ben Rainey in the background doing, you know, club stuff, yeah. the rest of it, whether they run a management company, whether they run a Patreon, whether they're doing walkthroughs, whether they could, you know, Scott Diaz, who's on the last episode, create sample packs. And it's like yeah. all these layers of the industry exist, but not everyone knows about them. Um, so like yeah. I say, all credit to you, man. And I think that Patreon thing is like, yeah, it's just such a, such a wicked, wicked idea. So tell us, I want to yeah. go back to a little bit about you creating your own. What, what are you calling the Ollie James sound? So, all right. It's, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna take off one day i believe you know i've got all my all my patreon so i've got like a community now of 170 people right it's amazing um and honestly like they're, they're all my friends they're all so we talk every day um 
And those guys are now making this sound. You know, I've sent a couple of this new style out to W&W and they love it. Yes. Uh, they want to release it on their label, which was when I was making the sound, I was like, I want it to be on their label because their, their sound is rave culture. I'm calling mine, drum roll, rave room. It's big room mixed with the rave elements. It's a little bit cheesy, but the sound itself is quite cheesy. I think the Euro dance thing is the cheesiness that I've always been a part of. So I want to keep that, you know, the, 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 this kind of stuff. I want to keep that vibe. Uh, but I want to bring in darker, more cool elements, you know, the yeah. techno kicks, stuff like that. Um, because as I'm getting older, man, I'm, I'm appreciating techno more. I remember yeah. back in the days, I'd be like, oh, I hate techno. I just want to hear this boom, boom, this stuff. But now I'm loving techno. I love hard trance. Uh, so I'm taking all those elements, combining it with this. And it's not a new sound, right? I'm using old school sounds, like even an acid shot here and there. It just brings that nostalgic feel. But all music is secular, man. Like to, for anyone yeah. to say, I mean, there hasn't been a fucking a musical instrument invented since the synth. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so when you say I'm using old sounds, absolutely everybody is regurgitating, you know, yeah. so much stuff. And everyone, you know, even going right back to the start of the conversation, when you were saying, oh, well, I used to download a MIDI pack or I would download a project and I would start. Yeah. Like, I mean, we do that. I mean, like every day when I go to the studio and, you know, my ideas all come from something else. Like pretty much every track that I make is an amalgamation of three things that I've taken from, oh, sorry, things that I've taken from three or yeah. four other tracks that I've liked. And like, oh, I like that loop and I like that. Vo and even when, for people that don't work with vocalists, by the way, a lot of the time you give vocalists reference tracks and say, you know, I like exactly. this kind of vocal. I like the I, the theme could be about this, but I want it to sort of have a rhythm like that. Like most most of the time, you're always taking inspiration from things. So yeah, I think what, Rave Room's a wicked, wicked name. And I think it's a wicked concept, man. Yeah, what I would say, like for somebody who's maybe an established, they start to get a few releases, they're kind of stuck because obviously when you get a name for a sound, it's hard to get out of it. So I could not, because what I did, I wanted to make Future House, I wanted to make Bass House, I wanted to make Deep House, I was making pop music, everything. But then Spinning A&R basically told me, what are you doing? Why are you sending us pop tracks? You're a big room producer, make big room. So that's where the kind of my alias came from. To, to start doing the softer stuff because I love UK music, Deep House, you know, Piano so are we gonna, House. Are we going to talk about that? Have you, are you gonna, can you? Yeah, we can do. We can do. Um, I can't remember what I was about to say then. What was the question? No, no, no it's it? fine. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's led on to what, what, what I was going to ask you about, which was like, do yeah. you do you want to talk about that name? Or even if you don't want to talk about the name, do you want to talk about the process of how you're doing it? Like, are you doing the camel fat thing where you've got artwork with no face on it? Are you? Would you potentially one day want to perform as this alias, or are you just doing it because you're a music producer and you need to get it out? What's your thought process behind this alias? So... Yeah, man, like basically with the, the Holland connection, obviously I was in Holland a lot. They used to put me in the studio, a nice studio in Amsterdam with a singer, uh, maybe a songwriter, a couple of other producers, and we would just make music. I was forcing it. I was completely forcing it at the time. It was just like, if future bass is cool, try and make some future bass. Um, so I had all this music and I couldn't realistically release it. Like I can't release it a rave banger one day and then next week release it i'm not david getter you know the top yeah. guys can get away with it if you're an up-and-coming guy you, you just can't I even go i tried to bring jack back into the plate <laughs> yeah exactly like yeah he's even got his like his old alias back um but obviously i listen to the radio now and it's quite edm influenced you know the joel Corey stuff and the medusa stuff 
and being in the UK every day, I want to make that stuff as well because I love listening to it. So one day I would love to be playing as Ollie James and also as this new name. Um, okay. It took a while to find a name. Uh, it was took us weeks and months trying to find someone because I needed to get a logo done. Um, so I, I, it's, it makes me cringe a little bit, but honestly, it comes from a good place. So the thing is, the, the thing we've gone with so far is NCL because every time I come home from a tour, I look at my boarding pass, it says NCL. That's the best feeling in the world. If you've been on tour for two weeks, you come back and, and that's it. But, that, obviously, I don't live there, but it, it feels like home, you know? Well, I think that's wicked, mate. But you know that, you know, you know, Wrighton, you know, Henry's yeah. from Wrighton. He's just changed the Y oh, to, really? he just changed the Y to an I. Like, See, so I, he's, he's done it smart, though, because when you Google NCL, all you get is Newcastle stuff on Google. So that's well, something when you I, Google I Felix Leiter, all you get is James Bond. I'm a moron. Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> I had like, I had I like half an hour. Felix Leiter, man. I thought but, your real name was Felix Leiter. No, nope, I had like half an hour in the digital office about 12 years ago because I was yeah. doing Mondays um, and they were like, and they were like, we need a different name for you to do Saturdays as you've got 30 minutes because we need to send the flyer to print. Um, yeah. And I was like, I'd be, I think I'd been watching an old Bond film the night before or something, and I was just like, but now, I mean, and I would like to say this to anyone who's listening, I was retarded. Like, Dean's the master of this, like, by the way, of, like, finding a word or finding a name and then changing a couple of characters or changing a little influence yeah. on it so that you are completely unique across Insta and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And all yeah. I should have done is used Felix as the first name and something else as the surname. But I was yeah. too lazy and too stupid to know any better. Um, I mean, in fairness now, after you know, whatever, 12 years of it and stuff. Like, you know, I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. But yeah. if I was starting from scratch again and I had to come up with an alias, I think, which goes against what you've just done, I think yeah. I would try and come, do, use those Dean tricks of, of everything yeah. else. But no, I think... That's NCL's... something I need to look at. That's that's something I need to look at, obviously. I've, now, recently, the music I've made for that alias is getting pretty decent. You know, I'm, I'm working with other guys from Newcastle, Jerome Price, for example. We've made Wicked, a good... A good little track he, he's i learn a lot from him because he's doing what i want to do with this alias but obviously yeah. he's here and i'm, I'm at the bottom yeah, i'm starting to complete scratch um yeah he's, he's he's mint man and uh if we can get that first spinning release that's you know my aim um i need the name to be to stick because once you get that release i've had it with ollie james like that's it your career kind of starts i think it becomes easier then um, why but yeah. have you got a deal with spinning why spinning like why because obviously like jerome's released on um perfect havoc um and uh is it another yeah. one that i'm not thinking of but like why have you got an exclusive deal with spinning i've never had an exclusive deal with anyone i, I felt like it always held me back because as a new artist why would they sign a track from you when they can sign one of their one of their own um but with me because i've got that connection with spinning from the edm stuff find it easier you know i go perfect havoc with a brand new name and nobody i i think it's going to be pretty tough um obviously with jerome on the track you know my name's second it becomes easier yeah. um but if it's a solo track i feel like you know i have my contacts and spinning it does some good some really good like pop stuff they have some really big hits as well have you noticed um, a difference in spinning since it's been taken over by Warner? Because you've been working with spinning for a long time now. Like, I mean, this yeah. is a pro proper inside industry geeky question. But have yeah. you noticed um, a, a difference working with them in that mm -hmm. time or not? 
See, I, I don't think I've noticed a difference working with them, but I've, I've definitely noticed a difference in the sound. You know, it's really more about the Spotify stuff. Yeah. In the past, they would be a little bit more open to a harder track, a club track. I think over the years, especially with what the, the see what's going on right now, I think the club tracks are just going to die out a little bit more. Uh, and hopefully they'll come back, you know, when, when clubs open and stuff. But I think Spinning releases just some crazy spotify stream tracks right they do they do really well and um, lots of covers and stuff so yeah what's that think, is it the is it pickle or something they're, they're, oh, yeah, pick, yeah like it, it's i think for them it's really about the, the do you gimmick. know who that is no nah, no idea do you uh, no it's <laughs> a couple of See, that, i think it's got to be somebody established though it's really good well-made stuff like i was talking yeah. to uh alex whitman's totally on onto this like alex ross who you might like you know you've seen but he's like on whenever he's always chatting about it and i don't know uh yeah i don't know who it is but it's got to be someone who's pretty good at, at, at making music but like the music yeah. videos that they're putting out and the content it's high quality videos as well yeah, so it's got to be somebody with a decent budget um, um, who just doesn't want to be seen so we've kind of covered a lot of these bases i think but i'm gonna ask you what so what are the plans for obviously you've got your patreon stuff right that's wicked it's, yeah. it's banging it sounds like a really great community that you're really investing in time wise and that's in that's generating you an income which allows you to be an independent artist which is phenomenal yeah. so as an independent artist you can answer this from the ollie james point of view and from the ncr point of view what are the what are you, what's in your head at the minute what are the plans for the next 6 12 18 months how long do we think you know, the the corona thing is going to affect the music industry. Are you holding releases back and stacking them up? Are you just wanting yeah. to get music out? Like, what are you looking at in the next six to 12 months? So obviously, as an artist, I think it's important in EDM to release one track a month minimum because it's not like, for example, some of your tracks will have a lot more of a long longevity than mine. You know, on Spotify, they'll be much more easy to listen to. Mine is more about the, the clubs, the festivals, so I need to keep on top of that. I need to keep my name relevant. Um, also for the Patreon thing, I need to be relevant in order for that to be a success. Yeah. Uh, so it goes hand in hand. Um, I'm holding a few releases back. Uh, the, the new sound, the real new sound, because I just don't want them to be wasted almost. These are real club tracks and, and festival tracks. So I want them to do as best as possible. Um, and really, uh, one day I want to start a label for my, my community. You know, they look up, look up at me, which is amazing. I think it's, it's really heartwarming to see. But they're making the sound that I'm making now. So what happens when you get lots of tracks in this new style? I want to start a label for them. I want to give them a chance. Um, and from then, I would love to start, like, doing events. Obviously not in the UK, um, but, you know, places where they're, they're receptive to that style, so in Europe and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just now about trying to balance this patreon thing with trying to be an artist under two aliases so it's just non-stop music to be honest mate you you are the jay-z of chester street and i and i say yeah, that with and i, and I, and I say that with all that. respect that is you know what i mean i love, love how that, you're man. tying in i mean i was just like grinning from ear to ear when you were saying I mean, i'm gonna start my record label because i've got all my patreon tracks to release and then we bring that back you know what i mean and i love that you're like knitting together all the business of the music industry yeah. And I think that it's so important that people hear this stuff because some people could just think that you are just Ollie James who just flies around the world and plays records. Yeah. And like, I think to be successful like you've been in this industry, you've got to be a businessman. Like, you've got yeah. to understand yeah, how yeah, to absolutely. tie all these things together and bring them all, all around. It's not just about 
you know, getting a photo of you and a bottle. I'm not saying this is you, by the way, but I mean, it's not just about a selfie of you and a bottle of Patron in a VIP, you know. That is me, though. That is me. <laughs> <laughs> I love a bit of that, to be fair. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, we, we all do. Um, yeah. Right, okay, I'm going to start to, to wrap it up. There's three things that we're going to do to wrap up the podcast. The first one is a quick fire round. So it doesn't have to be a one-word answer, but yeah. a relatively, you know, a sentence or two or something. Um who name a DJ that you would really rather not play after at a club or a festival? If you saw, you know, if the agent sent you through the email yeah. and you saw the lineup and you saw the hours, who is the someone that you would just be like, oh, fuck? <laughs> See, there's a lot of obvious ones, but I'm going to say Ben Nicky because he plays so hard that I like to play hard stuff, especially in China, right? But I don't think I can go harder than what he plays. I think I would just be. Nowhere near his energy levels. Um, so I think it's definitely got to be Ben. There was, uh, I just don't know why it sprang to my mind here. There was um, a night that I played ministry, actually. And I think you said you were going to cry because you weren't playing. I yeah. cried the first time I was told I was going to play ministry because it had really? always been like a dream of mine. And I yeah. was like, yeah. But I, I remember playing the main room after Dennis Coyu. And uh, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he second last track he finished he finished his second last track was one of mine was I O U and I was like I had to what I was walking I was not really <laughs> I was like walking that's into the booth and I was that. like that's my record anyway um, first I think you've answered this but I'm going to ask you again first club you went to like just your, what was the first nightclub you went to. I suppose that could have been an, an under 18s night if you did go to one. But what was the sort of first nightclub that you went to and were like and was like, Jesus, this is fucking great? It's it's got to be Riverside, man. I used yeah. to go with my mates. Obviously, we all turned eighteen. Uh, like I used to go to Durham and stuff underage, you know. But an actual Newcastle nightclub, it was eighteen because I, d- I didn't want didn't want me fake uh, ID to get taken, you know. Uh, so we had to wait until we were we were eighteen, but. It was Sandro Silva epic, that song, bum, 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 this. And the bass in those speakers, I used to buzz. I used to go every Saturday, I think it was on, every Saturday and hope to hear that song. Because Jay Stone, he always used to play this mashup. And I was like, this is it, this is it. And I would just listen to it. And that's what made me fall in love with the sound, basically. So it's got, it's got to be well, really sad. It, it's probably, you may have just answered the next question then. So I was gonna, the next question was going to be track that really influenced you. 100% that song. Right, so you know, I, I would, epic. And, and I started to realize what I liked. So I didn't really like the, the data life kind of drops, electro. Yeah. I liked just fat sub bass and okay. like ones you could feel. I used and to so, get and sort of empty, like so sort of empty and all Basic, and all, just yeah. boom, boom. And I think that's now why I really like hard techno. It's very much like the, the fat bass line and quite minimal you yeah. know, synth elements. Um, so it, yeah, it's got to be that track, man. Favorite club that you have ever played? So there's, there's a lot of clubs in China that aesthetically are insane, but I would say Thompson's has got to be the one which makes me, because I've never played a show where people mosh, like mosh pit and like run into each other for every drop. So I drop a track, boom, drop another track and you're looking down on them, like from, from the DJ booth. And honestly, man, have you that, never that seen that? One of those... Have you never seen that video of me when they pull me out at like, and they just, no. uh, Oh man, I'm going to send you it as soon as we finish recording. So you've basically just articulated what I said. So they pulled yeah. me out at like two o'clock. So it finishes dead early. Right. I just played yeah. my set. In fact, I think I'd 
finish and they maybe put someone on for like half an hour to play like side stuff because I don't play it. And they yeah. pulled me outside and just stuck this camera in my face. Mate, I can't believe I haven't seen this video. I'm going to send you it. And I'm just there just going... It's like a rugby scrum oh, in a building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, and like, and it's a fucking Tuesday night. And like, yeah, mate. Well, yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I don't think I'll ever play a club like that again. Like, no. Honestly, just people running into each other, but it's so fun. Like, because it's the vibes there, man. Everybody's yeah. vibing the same well, way. Well, shout so, out to, yeah. to Jason Callum and all the electric yeah, playground lads because, uh, yeah, Thompson's is amazing. Um, a DJ that you just really love to warm up for. So, like, let's say we're getting out this corona thing and you get your email in and it's a, for a festival or it's ministry maybe. Who would you yeah. just see that, you know, you're on before them and just think, oh, that's just going to work so well. I'm so excited about playing that warm-up set and then them coming in, changing over and being part of it. I would say Hardwell on Hardwell's return. So let's say theoretically he comes back. I want to be the guy warming up for him because you know for a fact, wherever that show is, it's rammed front to back. People will be spilling out the door. That's obviously, I think everybody's waiting for that to happen. I don't know if he'll ever come back or not, but I think that would be the one. Well, yeah, I think that would be the one. I'm going to I'm gonna put in a, just a sort of a, to phrase this question, because it's, it's phrased slightly differently for, for, for most DJs who play a different kind of music to yeah. you. So I'm going to slightly rephrase it. Let's just say that um, timing-wise, you'd been on at Ministry and you were closing the box, and it was that was that show where Dean and everyone had come down to. It was the yeah. Friday night or whatever. It was a revealed show, and you were on um, closing the box. But but Boris had made the announcement, right? So let's just say it was that Friday that in March, yeah. right? So you're going to ministry, but you know that the ministry is going to close after this, after your set, um, yeah. it's going to be closed. What record do you play to close the box at 6 a.m., knowing that the ministry of sound is going to close down for however many months into the future? What record do you play to close it? See, with my kind of music, um, the cheese definitely pays off the commercial stuff. So what I like to do, even because nowadays I'm playing a lot of 150, so it's really hard stuff, like real rave music. <laughs> I'll always end on Reload, you know, the, the Tommy Trash track with the Avicii vocals on it. Now, I bet a lot of producers out there like turning their nose up and be like, oh, bro, what is this? But when you play that, no matter who it is, people just love it. And they sing along because it's got the nostalgic feel of reload but it's also got the avici vocals on it the wake me up yeah. vocals yeah. and it always does amazing no matter where i am i always do it um, amazing man. it, it that, always works out that's a great answer okay so then the, the second last thing we're going to do is i'm going to ask you to cur curate a dream gig so um again don't stress about it it's just in the moment but i want you to give me a venue it can be yeah. somewhere you've played somewhere you haven't played it can be a club it can be a festival it can be generic like a small room a big room whatever you want but this 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 gig can take place wherever you want and then i want three acts there's not so much a, a warm-up a middle and a headline it's three co-headlines it can be back-to-backs it can be individual artists it can be bands it yeah. can be live acts it can be whatever you want it's just an ollie james kind of dream gig so where are we going to have this dream gig it, it's got to be ibiza that's probably my biggest goal with my music style unfortunately i'll probably never touch the island of ibiza the dj um so i would definitely have it there uh acts wise you can play if Darren you want styles. or you can you can be you can be you oh can... i'll be playing I, yeah i have to play, have to play. <laughs> this is my only shot at ibiza man i'm playing uh, Darren Styles because I Hero. think like it's old stuff and new stuff's amazing. Um, w and I love them. And can I have an MC? Yeah, I want to MC Tazo as well. MC so, the whole thing. So what what club in Ibiza are we doing? 
See, uh, the thing is, like, every single club in Ibiza is just next level. Like, you'll, you'll not experience the same kind of thing. So I'd probably have it on the beach, a beach festival. Amazing. Let's shut the whole place. We'll have so a beach, a beach festival. festival with Darren yeah. Styles, Ollie James, um, and W&W, I think. W&W and, yeah. and Tazo. Wicked, man. Okay, so. It's a, bit, it's a bit weird, but I think it would go off. If people want to find out more about you and your music and your Patreon or whatever, hit me with yeah. some links and things to Google, just anything that you want people to go and, uh, if they're listening and want to know more about you, what can they, what can they search to find you? So on Instagram, it's Ollie James Music, I believe. Um, you'll find everything on there. That's my most active. Um, it's the same for Twitter and Facebook, Ollie James, but I think Instagram's the best for me. Connect with people. I can message people and stuff easier. Um, so you'll find everything there. Nice one. And to finish off, I want you to give us a play out track. It can be uh, one of yours. It can be something from the past. It can be something brand new. It can be whatever you want. Use it to promote your music or use it to just reminisce about something. But I want you yeah. to introduce the title of the track and then tell people why they are going to hear this record to play it out at the end of the podcast. So uh, I'm going to plug. I'm going to plug my own song. I've just released a new track. Um, it's not as raj as the new stuff I'm going to be releasing. It's it's quite groovy, big room. Uh, it's called Shine. It's on Maximize and Spinning um, with a guy called Asko. Uh, he, he makes really groovy stuff. I think you'll appreciate like the bass line. I took his bass line, stuck my EDM on top of it and, ma and made this like kind of different style track. Uh, so I definitely want to play that. Nice one. It's been so great to catch up with you, man. See you soon. Yeah, see you soon, bro. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.